0: Mr. Foreman, I'm going to let you do the uh, the honors and introduce these young men here, and uh, we'll we'll get going here.
1: All right. Well, this is a this is real fun here on Guitar Wank. We have some people that have been subjected to uh, numerous hours of guitar torture and punishment, and it's their chance for an hour to get back at us all. I'd like to uh, introduce some musicians who I just love and admire. And you probably all know who they are. It's John Clayton on bass and Jeff Hamilton, the drummer, the only drummer. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, and, uh, you know, I know that uh, basically these are the guys who are doing my the new record, my the tribute to the poll winners that we're doing. Uh, John is going to play Ray Brown's bass and Jeff's playing Shelley's drums. And as everybody knows by now, unless they're deaf and haven't been paying attention, I've got Barney's guitar. So we're just here to basically promote and get people to give us money because we need it, <laughs> and, and and otherwise entertain ourselves.
2: And I, th- I thought it was to pitch in to buy you a new hat, Bruce. <laughs> but,
1: you know, um, okay, that sounds good. <laughs>
2: how,
3: many, how many birds died for that hat?
1: <laughs> well, you know, um, frankly, I wish a lot more had.
3: Um, <laughs> oh, oh, these that's are just not right the right answers. answer.
1: Yeah, uh, the, the the turkeys. These are just remnants. I haven't yet to actually meet one face to face and be able to let them know my lack of appreciation for what they do to our garden.
2: Fortunate turkey.
1: Yeah, yeah I mean, I think it's I think it's just professional courtesy at this point.
2: <laughs> uh, anyway, was a great
3: idea, Bruce. Great, great idea to put these instruments together. Reunion of the instruments. Very cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah you know, now I'm, I'm really excited.
0: About it. Now I'm, I'm curious, um, with you guys, how did you guys all meet? And when did we meet?
2: I just met him in an email a few minutes ago <laughs> and I wasn't doing anything. Yeah. I haven't met him yet.
1: Really? <laughs> that's, that's Thanks the for the
2: invitation. Let's go have lunch, John. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> See you, Bruce.
1: You guys, you guys have done your thing. Yeah. You can go now that you check. will be in the mail.
2: <laughs>
3: your nose is growing.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Well, Bruce, I don't know exactly when we met. I just, I just remember the monumental meeting with Ray Brown when he hired you for the Loa, and uh, and we played there together. He, he he gave you a shot as a leader with Ray on bass, and I was on drums. But we had met before that, and I'm well, oh the Mark Murphy record maybe.
1: I, I think we'd even met before that at like an Articrest festival or something like that. I think
2: you're right. Yeah,
1: but but I do remember the Mark Murphy date, and that was. Considerably before the trio with Ray, so right,
2: uh, yeah, yeah. So what, how we, the, what, what year
0: the, are we talking?
2: Well, oh man, you weren't alive. That's for 80, 87, or maybe before eighty-five. I started doing Ottercrest and um, when I was with the LA Four, and that I was with them from seventy-eight to eighty-three.
1: R- right, and Mark Murphy's date was in that time too. Mark yeah. Murphy, yeah,
2: John, when did the Clayton brothers record at Otter Crest? When was that CD? The music.
3: Uh, I think that was yeah, either '89, right. '89, wasn't there before then? Well, I moved back from Europe in '85, uh, right? Into yeah. Before '85, we didn't. Do, I didn't immediately do Otter Crest, so it must have been a uh, year okay. or two later.
2: Okay, <laughs> uh, yeah. but somewhere or,
3: around there, yeah. Bruce.
2: I think I met you back that you know, like uh, thirty plus thirty-five years ago. Something.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the bout for Kerouac record with Mark Murphy was early '80s. Yeah. I'm almost, because I was still with Richie, and I'd I'd left that band by '83 or four.
2: Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. yeah. So,
1: um, yeah, and uh, and I met John. Basically, this is what I remember, John. You can tell me if I'm right. I was working at the Loa, the club that Ray Brown ran, booked, whatever. Um, and he was supposed to play, and he sent you in as a sub, is what I remember. Wow. He, he, he do you remember that? Like you came I in. I don't any-
3: remember that, but I probably would have met you at Ottercrest before that, right?
1: Right. Uh, I get, Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. So. I got a
2: funny side story about that Mark Murphy album we did, Bruce. Yeah. If I may, that's what this is for, right? Try yeah, to stay- yeah, go ahead and embarrass I- me. All, all right, try to, try to stay awake. old uh, dirt
0: is welcomed.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so I had a Doberman Weimaraner named Laura, a very tall dog, beautiful dog. And uh, at that time, you know, I was listening to a lot of LPs, and the LPs were stacked against the, uh, the, the stereo unit. And I came home one day, and this new dog had ripped to shreds the Mark Murphy cover. And it was all over the house. And I love that record. All the sad young men. And, you know, that yep. was a great record. Right, Bruce? Yep. And I just, my heart sank. And I went, oh, no. Because I don't think I could get another one at that point. It was They'd already been out of business. And I was just sick, you know. And I could have killed her. And she, you know, she knew it. I mean, she scurried off. And, and my wife came home. And she walked in. And I just left the mess in the living room for her to see, you know, what a terrible dog this is. <laughs> and, and she says, well, uh, how many did she get? And I said, The only one in that pile of records that I'm on. And she says, Well, at least she has good taste. Oh, <laughs> oh.
1: wow, it gets rough. <laughs> wow.
2: So now I have a jacketless, uh, Mark Murphy record that I I can play, you know. Yeah.
3: And I think the, the first recording we did together. Bruce, I know you recall because it was your record. My record. Yes. And you told me about this really great manager who was getting you a lot of gigs mm-hmm. and, uh, and organized this record date. Uh, and, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he wanted to fly me up to San Francisco and meet this to be to remain nameless. Uh, manager slash producer of yours, and and it was fun, man. The record date was a blast.
1: Yeah, we had a good time. We had d Heath, which is of course.
2: Yeah, that yeah, was I was time. busy. <laughs> <Yeah>.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but that the record it was fun. Now was that because I did a couple of records with you? Was that the uh, uh, the was it the night the the.
1: Still, still the night.
3: Still the night. Was that still the night record or was that the foreman on the job?
1: That was still the night. The foreman on the job was the one after that with yeah. Joe Henderson.
3: Um, yes, that's right. Yeah,
1: um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, I mean, he, he started off, it was really promising, you know? See. You know, what I mean, I, I've had a lot of relationships like that in my life.
3: <laughs> well, it didn't. It didn't destroy our friendship, so that that says I'm something amazed, about. Kind of amazed that? it didn't. What?
1: I'm kind of amazed that it didn't.
3: No. No, nah, man. If it don't kill you, uh, it don't kill you. Right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I like I got that book out of it. I wrote that novel, that it gave me a great idea for a novel. So at least I got that, you know, which sold about as much as the records he produced. So
2: No, no, no. no. That novel was great, man. You, know, <laughs> you wrote your butt off on that. That was great. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. so, you know, I mean, Very subtle. Yeah, we got something out of it. And we're here. We're still here. The pole whiners, right? That's
3: it. Pole <laughs> whiners. I love that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are
3: you playing Barney's guitar every day?
1: Yes, I have. I put my my other guitar, which I which her name is Ruby. I put her away about three weeks ago, and it's. I'm just living with this one. It's just like we're gonna ride together down the trail, see where it goes. You know, I'm not gonna. I played a couple of gigs that it really weren't probably the right idea, but I still did it. You know, we made our piece, and um, you know, and I'm gonna use it on the Roger Kellaway thing too. Of course, Roger will love it because that was the guitar that started the Oscar Peterson trio. You know, mm-hmm. that was the first guitar in Oscar's band with guitar bass. You know, I, they, they I
2: thought I thought Irving Ashby was in there before Barney.
1: Uh, Barney I mean, according to uh, according to everything I've read, it's Barney.
3: Huh. I've, I saw recordings of Irving before Barney.
1: Really? Um, well, yeah. then, then there you go. You see, all that shit's not true. Don't.
3: Don't go on the internet; you'll be (laughs) very (laughs) unhappy. But uh, yeah, you know, I've been since the since COVID, since the pandemic, I basically have only played Ray Brown's bass. Oh, cool! And and it's it it wasn't on purpose, but the whole pandemic, you know, it affected all of us weirdly, of course. But one of the weird things is when I when things closed down and I came home off the road. I basically and I'm not proud of this, but for over a year I didn't take my other bass out of the case. It just stayed in the shipping case for a whole year plus. And finally one day I thought, "Clayton, this is really embarrassing and stupid." And I I took it out cuz that was the bass, not the Ray Brown bass, but that was the bass that I, you know, played on your record, played for years, t- toured, played with Hammer. Hammer was with me when I I found it 40 years ago, all that stuff, you know. And, and that's the first time in my life I have not played that bass for a year, more than a year. So, uh, you know, th- I've been working out. This has been kicking me in the butt because the string length is longer. So I had to, like, stretch my fingers a little bit more. Yeah, I'm sure
2: you have them. a problem doing that with those
3: hands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's still, you feel it no matter how much. So, uh, but, yeah, it's been, you know, it's, it's such a great A great sounding bass when you're playing time. A little bit more work with the bow, but you know, you do what you got to do.
2: Well, you guys, you know, I'm listening to your stories about putting your babies in a case and leaving them. It's like, I feel like a little Edgar Bergen ventriloquist stuff here that, uh, you know, you, the, the dummy's in the box for a long time, and then he turns on you when you open the box, you know?
3: Yeah. <laughs> that's about right. <laughs>
2: uh, that's,
1: that's, believe me, my friend, that's exactly what happens. It doesn't take you there very long either, you know?
2: <laughs> well, my, my right. bass drum, we, uh, Clayton Hamilton Orchestra played uh, the uh, Elmhurst Festival in February, the end of February 2020. And uh, that was my last gig. I flew home and I had one in-town gig that I used other drums on. And um, so those drums have been sitting in their cases, much like you two, until I had a call to do a Michael Bublé recording and I wanted to use the bigger 20-inch bass drum. So I go out and I open the case and the hoop has been cracked for over a year, sitting in that case, Southwest Airlines broke the bass drum hoop, and the poor baby's been sitting there with a broken arm for a year. And uh, now I just find it after a year, so I had to had to get a new hoop and put Humpty back together. You know. Oh,
3: that's funny. <laughs> you
1: know, really. I,
3: I like the I like Humpty. That's a cool reference.
2: Well, that's about the way it felt, you know. It's the way I felt too after two back surgeries, you know. <laughs> did, you, did you did you have surgeries during COVID? Yeah, I fell off the wall before COVID. No, uh, I uh, yeah, I, I had I needed it going into the 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 the, the uh, layoff, and I thought you know this is a perfect time to do this. So, and it was. I didn't know I had to have two. I had one uh, March 18th, three hours before they stopped all elective surgery in L.A and then i had a second one that was necessary on uh, june 4th so i'm um, the back is fine it's oh. i really needed it so yeah but
1: you now they can do your front i think right
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm just happy i i had to walk 4.4 4 miles through three airports yesterday and i could do it so that's what i'm happy about i'm wow
1: cool. i'm back yeah. in action
2: yeah well,
0: that's good hey yeah, can you guys talk a little bit about you know um like obviously you guys knew the players that you're using their instruments really, really well. Can you guys talk about what relationship you had with those guys and what kind of what kind of people they were? Because, you know, a lot of young listeners have no idea what they're all about.
2: Well, that would be nice, Troy, but, I, you know, I, I, maybe you should mind your own business. I'm really enjoying <laughs> Bruce, like, fumbling around here and, you know... <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'd be That's happy the perfect to response <laughs> Somebody want to start or uh, I I mean Go I ahead, Jeff, you
1: started oh. already.
2: All right. Well, uh I first met Shelly Mann uh in Scottsdale, Arizona. Monty Alexander, John Clayton, and I were playing at what the time was a jazz spot, the Double Tree Inn in Scottsdale, and they had six nights a week. Uh Judy Roberts would play their Armin Boatman from Phoenix and, and we came in for a week. And um uh, Shelly and Flip, his wife, who just turned 100, as we know, about three wow. weeks ago, um, they came in with uh, Shelly's brother and his wife. So the four of them sat and listened to us, and I was dying. I thought, why am I playing drums up here when this guy's in the room? And I, I, John, I think, you know, you and I were like 21, 22, and, uh, and he came up to me after the set and was so gracious to me and so kind and said all the things that you want a hero to say. And we took a couple of pictures, and he said, stay in touch with me, young blood." And uh, I I did. <laughs> I kept him at his word. And same thing with Ray Brown when I met Ray. Ray said, stay in touch with me. And I did. So when I came out to L.A., it was because Shelly Mann had left the L.A. 4 with Lorendo Almeida, Bud Shank, and Ray Brown. And Ray and, and, uh, and Shelly, thought I would be a, a good fit for the group. So I was on Woody Herman's band, and I left Woody's band. I was playing Disneyland, the Carnation Gardens with Woody's band, and I called Ray, and he said, Oh, I'm glad you called. I told you to stay in touch. I got this little band you might want to be in. The drummer left, and I'm going, Wow, this would be great. <laughs> I'm thinking, Who's this? It wouldn't be the LA4. You know? And he said, Yeah, Shelly Mann left the group, and we need a drummer. And I said, Wow okay, uh, why why me? And he says, well, you know, we need a Jewish drummer, and you're close enough. <laughs> 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 so uh, so I the next day, uh, I believe it was the next day, or maybe two days later, Joe Rocasano had rehearsed or had arranged a couple of band tunes for Woody's band on the last record I did, and he asked me to fill in on in his big band rehearsal, so I'm doing the... Joe Rocasano's big band rehearsal in um, at the Union. It was like, a, I think, 12, 14-piece band something. And in walks Shelly Mann, stops the rehearsal, walks over to the drums, stands in front of the drums, turns to the band says, hold, hold it, fellas, hold it. Young Youngblood, when would you get here? And I said, I, I, I just got here. And he says, well, great. And he writes down his phone number, he hands it to him, and he says... What are you doing for dinner tonight? I said, uh, nothing. And he said, great, I'll have Flip make some dinner for you. Come on out, call me, and I'll tell you how to get out there. And I said, uh, okay. And Shelly turned to the band. He said, sorry, fellas. turns around and walks out of the room, and a, a grumpy trumpet player in the back row says, I've been in L.A. for 40 damn years, and Shelly man's never said hi to me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I drove out, and that was the first, the, the first people who invited me to their place when I moved to L.A., and I had wow. dinner with Shelly and Flip that night. And had a wonderful, wonderful time, so that was that was how I met Shelley, and we we got off the ground,
0: so it sounds like Shelley was a bit of a character,
2: oh, he was yeah, oh yeah, yeah, I mean, great lines like you know the definition of jazz is never playing the same thing once, you know and then <laughs> and then in an orchestra room they turn to the the cello section you know which is called chelly you know and the conductor says chelly and shelly says yes maestro you know <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah he, he great great sense of humor
0: wow that's
3: yeah. i met i met uh i met shelly and ray i met ray brown when i was 16 years old and he taught a class at UCLA an extension course in the evening and uh Um, even though I was in high school, I could save the 65 bucks and roll in the course. And he walked through the door with that base. Um, And I never will forget, you know, 16 year old kid and this, this guy bigger than God walks in and he, um, you know, all, everybody in the room in the, in the classroom was just, (laughs) we were just blown away. Uh, So uh, that was my first contact with Ray Brown. And after the course ended, I remained close to him, as, as you probably may or may not know, and, and uh, stayed close to him as did Jeff until um, the day he died. Uh, but soon after that, soon after meeting Ray Brown at 16 years old, after the course ended, uh, I started up with lessons, classical lessons at Ray Brown's insistence. And, and then Ray Brown off, opened a lot of other doors for me. It, recommending me for gigs and, you know, teaching, uh, taking lessons from certain teachers and all. So it was all going really great. And then um, one day he said, uh, uh, listen, call this guy. And I had to, I, I basically, I, ba- I met Henry Mancini and they invited me to be at 19 years old, the bass player on his uh, brand new TV show. Shelly Mann was the drummer. Jimmy Rolls on piano. Um, can't remember who was on guitar or if there was a guitar player, but anyway, that was uh, that's when I got to play with, met, and play with Shelly Mann, and uh, he called me Youngblood. But even before I met Shelly, um, he of course had his jazz club, the the I think the iconic jazz club in L.A. Uh, it was my favorite club back then at Shelly's Manhole uh and where was that where,
0: where where was that in Los Angeles
3: on Coinga oh okay is, yeah it was about three or four doors down from where the old Catalina's used to be okay so um south of Hollywood boulevard exactly right. just yes. half a block south of Hollywood and um anyway that that, that was the first time i'd been to a a, a real jazz club and heard uh, Ray Brown with Milt Jackson, Monty Alexander, Teddy Edwards. And the walls, man, they had grooves going and it felt like the walls were just on LSD or something. They were just floating back and forth. It, it was so hot. It was I'd never experienced anything like that. So, you know, Shelly man, just he's he's touched my life in a bunch of ways. And then eventually uh, Jeff and I got to Nolly Meet. Barney Kessel, but record with him, uh, tour with him, as, as Jeff mentioned with Monty Alexander, uh, and even do one of, of <laughs> a trio arrangement of a Barney Kessel arrangement of feelings. <laughs> 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 totally forgot about that, but we were, I, that. That, I forgot that was his arrangement. Yeah, man. We stole it from him. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and then, and then we just recorded as a trio without him, but you know. Hey, that's what you do. How, how um, was it How was it
0: working with Barney on the road in, the, in that situation, being in the oh, band with oh, him?
3: A laugh a minute. Sheesh. <laughs> he was so funny. Odd, funny, weird. And, you know, he laughed at himself too. He was always laughing at his own jokes and laughing at himself. Um, and always had one-liners, say a lot of silly stuff. And always, you know could hard, hardly get to the punchline because he was laughing so hard. <laughs> that was Barney.
2: <laughs> I like Bruce. You know this too. I like his act when he was on stage and, and he deliver this great line with dry humor and the audience would kind of be giggling a little bit and he'd sit back down and settle himself to play. And then he'd stand back up and walk to the microphone like, Oh, and I one more thing, you know, and it would just bring the house down. He, he yeah. always was doing that, but he, uh, one thing I remember too is the first time we played with him was in Boston at the Jazz Workshop at Paul's Mall, and, and with Monty, and um, the the pride and seriousness of being a professional was just seeping out of this man. I mean, he, you know, he he showed up at the rehearsal in a sport coat and a bow tie, you know, and groomed for the gig, just ready to go. Just, he just was. I I just remember thinking, man, this guy is an old pro, and I got to watch him. I can learn a lot from watching this guy and watch what he does. And then remember, John, after the the rehearsal, he said, "You guys want to have lunch?" And we said, "Well, sure." <laughs> Are you kidding? So we we the two of us joined him for lunch. And the first thing he said to me, he says, "Are you familiar with this drummer, Elvin Jones?" And I said, well, sure, you know, and I wonder, you want to be careful with these guys because you don't want to, you don't want to say, oh man, he was the greatest thing, you know, because they may not like him, you know, so I said, oh sure, I know, yeah, everybody knows Elvis Jones, you know, I said, any particular reason, and he says, yeah, I I did a record date with him not long ago, and uh, I was trading fours and eights with him, and I'm diligently patting my foot on the floor. And I'm sure I'm I'm right at the end of four bars, and I start to come in, and he's still going for another beat or two, and then I came in. Well, this kept going on, and finally I I stopped the recording and I walked over to his baffle. <laughs> you can see Barty doing this bruise. Walked up to a baffle. I says, Mister Jones, excuse me, I'm I'm trying to uh, follow where the fours are that we're trading or eights, whatever it was, and and I'm, I'm I wonder if you can tell me anything that will help me. Follow where you are, and Elvin said, Yeah, I get to play, and when I'm finished, then it's your turn. (laughs) (laughs) When you finish, then it's my turn again. And (laughs) Marty says, Oh, okay, well, thank you. And he turned around and went back to the the stool. Yeah. So a real character, but for for example, telling stuff on himself, you know, John, like like that, where it's like. Mm-hmm. And I think that album is called "Feeling Free." Bruce on uh, Fantasy. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. And there's also a com- spontaneous combustion that we did.
2: That's the, that's the one we did with him.
3: Yeah. Oh, I see. I, oh, you're talking about the one with uh, Elvin. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Wow. <laughs>
1: How well,
3: did you how did you know Barney uh, Bruce?
1: Well, I mean we will starting with Shelly. I, I I knew Shelley. My first introduction to Shelly was I played as, as a featured guy at a guitar blowout at the Monterey Jazz Festival when I was I I must have been like twenty one or two. And uh Shelley was in the all-star rhythm section. It was Hank Jones, Andy Simpkins and Shelley. And uh, for my feature, I, I of course played something really fast because <laughs> I like to and I can, I don't know. <laughs> um, and so we're playing, I don't know, must've been some, you know, rhythm changes or something. And I'm playing and I'm, it just feels so good because, you know, you got Shelly man and that's one thing Shelly could just do like nobody else make that feel so good.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I'm playing and we're playing, and it's going great. And then, Shelly stops the band and he looked over at Andy, you know, Andy Simpkins, who was like just, you know, working the bass, you know, really working as you could see his like his veins were popping out and he was sweating and you know, really kind of straining. And Shelly looks at him and he goes, Andy, he says, why are you working so hard? You know, says, you know, listen to Bruce. He's he's playing in two, really. And I went like he said, and then he made me. He said, "Just play by yourself for a while." So I had to like you know play a bunch of eighth notes. He goes, "You hear that?" He's just playing in two. Don't work so hard. Thinking two, playing four. Thinking two, playing four. And like I never even realized I did that. Kind of like that was just my way of doing it. And that's the, he had, obviously it was his way of doing it. You know, it's just like at that. He said he even said like at this speed you don't have to worry about swinging. You just gotta let it go you know. Oh. And uh and like Andy just kind of lightened up and it it even got better, but it was great before that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And um and then Shelly took a liking to me and I ended up being the house guitarist with him in the Monterey Jazz Festival All-Star Band for a year or two before he left and and Vince Ladiano took over. Um and yeah, we'd hang out a lot, you know, like go at Shelly liked to eat and hang, so uh, I remember him telling this story about Narris calling him, you know, the National of Arts and Science, the people, the granny people, calling him wanting to get a donation.
3: <laughs>
1: and, he, and he said to them, well, you know, I'd rather donate to the blind. <laughs> 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 oh, that's good. <laughs>
3: Wow. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> hey, that's like donating to the NFL. That's stupid. Yeah, I mean, uh, like, I'm
1: not going to give it to the deaf today. I'm going to give it to the blind. Yeah,
3: yeah, that's great. <laughs> so,
1: um, he was just always funny. And he, of course, he tells that fever story, which is not dissimilar from what happened, you know, on that record day with Mark Murphy. You were on the one day and then Roy McCurdy was on the other. Right. And that was when, I think it was Mark Murphy went to Roy, because we were doing like a, I think we did St. Thomas, right? And, yes. uh, and he wanted to groove from the record. And he's trying to explain it to Roy. And Roy just looks at him and said, I was on that record.
2: <laughs> funny Rollins record.
1: Yeah, yeah, right. The Funny Rollins. So yeah. he's trying to explain the groove. And Roy just kind of looks at him and says, I'm on that record. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> and then i asked roy later i i think i told this to you bruce but i asked i said did sonny rollins have that beat in mind or did you have complete freedom to just come up with something he says no no just said just come up with something roy so that's all roy yeah you know yeah. on that beat on saint thomas so yeah.
1: yeah and so uh you know i mean i back to you know and of course ray I don't remember how... I mean, I'd known about him. Maybe it was Autocrest, too. You know, got to play with him some, jam sessions. He liked me because I liked to play fast, too. That was... I mean, whenever, invariably, I would play with him, and the first thing he would do is call something ridiculously fast. That was always what... You know, I mean, like, it's like... hey, You know, I, but I, I think I even said to him once, you know, Ray, I can play slow, too.
2: <laughs>
1: but um, But with Barney, you know, I just... I, he came t- to town and, and back in the days, we're talking like the mid-late 70s, guitar players would come, like Joe Pass and Barney Kessel would all come to town and they'd do like a guitar workshop in the afternoon at the club before the gig at night. It was another way to get more bread, you know. And we guitar players, we like to hang that way. So, um, so I, I, I that's how I met Barney originally, was I just went to one of those and and, you know, they said, anybody want to play? And of course, I'm like, I think I probably crawled over four people on my way to the bandstand, and uh, and then I and then I started working with him around San Francisco when he came to town. He, I would be on the gig, and then uh, and then he hired me to go on the road with him in Europe for this this festival tour. You know, like I guess it was one of those like have a established guy and a young guy. You know, one of those. And then we used uh, rhythm sections for the bands that were touring, like used Dexter's rhythm section for a while and Art Pepper's rhythm section for a second, you know, I mean, whatever band was on the bill with us, we'd kind of get their rhythm section, you know, and we'd do solos, we'd play together, you know, and Barney was so competitive,
3: (laughs) particularly
1: then. I mean, as he got into the great guitars, he kind of that sort of, you know, seemed to mellow a bit. But back when I was on the road with him, man, if you get on that bandstand, it's going to be bloody. You know what I mean? There's just no doubt about it. He's there to take care of business and hurt you mm. in a beautiful way. You know, he wants to make good music, but he's it's serious business. And uh, and so, you know, we just ate hey, good friends, you know. Um, I You know, I, be, I will be playing his guitar. I'm not going to use his underwear, nor his toupee, nor his bow tie, nor his aftershave. I just promise <laughs> you that. We're in a small room. You don't need to be in the room with that.
2: Uh, is there a guarantee on the donations that they can't take it back
3: now? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: yeah. I don't know about that. I don't know how any of that shit works, man. I, you know, <laughs> as a matter of fact, that whole thing might be just a big joke, somebody putting numbers up, saying, ah, right. Bruce thinks he's going to, yeah, right, yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> well, having said that, could I get a draw, Bruce? Sure, Sure, man. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You know, yeah. Just, just go down to Jamba Juice and tell them you know me.
0: <laughs> hey, hey, Jeff, tell us about um, Shelley's kit that you're going to be playing. What, what's a little story behind that?
2: Well, Shelley went through uh, a few drum companies in his career because everyone wanted him. You know, right. of course, Shelly man playing your drums makes your company look great. And, and uh, uh, he played leadies. He played a lot of, probably just about every really good drum company, but. The period of the, and Bruce, you can chime in on this, but I think I think all of the poll winner records are on the Leedy drums, the, like 57, 58 uh, through 60. And then I, I, shortly after that, he signed with Campco Drum Company. But these drums uh, were uh, found by our collective friend, Gary Hobbs, a great Stan Kenton drummer in Portland, Oregon. And he got the drums, and apparently they were in, they were in some pretty rough shape. And Bruce, jump in anytime. You know, as I, I'm not sure where he found. And, it.
1: And, and for those of you who want to contribute to Kickstarter, there is an update on there of Gary Hobbs actually telling the story, what he knows about those drums. There, mm-hmm. He went into detail about it. Um, from what I remember, yeah, Gary, when Gary got them, they were in really bad shape, and of course, he lovingly restored them. They are on the uh, on the cover. Do you remember that Doctari record? You know, yeah. Shelley was you know wrote all the music for that it was like a TV show and then a movie or a movie, then a TV show. Shelley did all that music and there's a picture of him <laughs> playing his drums with like a, there's a chimpanzee holding a clarinet and a, a gorilla with like a tuba or something. I mean, it's a, it's a great cover and Shelly's sitting there and it's leading at this actual drum set. Right. I think that was 64. So that would have been right after the, the last poll winners records, but okay. yeah. So, um, and and Gary Gary got him from a guy named Mike Barone, I think.
2: Yeah, Mike had a big band in L.A. still does, and uh, Gary's brother is the one who got the drums, I believe. I oh, mean, okay. Mike's brother Gary Barone had the drums. Oh,
1: that's that's right, Gary Barone.
2: Yeah, also an excellent musician, and so so then he he moved up to Oregon, and I think that's how Gary got the drums from from uh, Gary Gary Barone. So yeah,
1: and they're both Kenton alumni too. That's a really crazy right guy, right. You know, John Von Olin, you know what a great right. what a
2: great bunch of drummers there. Right, but the the drums that uh, Leedy Leedy was making very warm sounding drums. Then of course everything was calfskin heads when Leedy first went into business, and then you know there's a history of Leedy joining Ludwig, leading and Leedy and Ludwig drum companies, and then uh, just Ludwig and just Leedy. So they went through some transformations. So. um, they're they're really warm sounding drums. I want to say they're mahogany, but I'm I'm not certain. I'll know as soon as I can see them. But they sound like mahogany on on recordings to me. And uh, so Gary told me I might need a couple of new heads on them and uh, and try to brighten them a little bit. But I, I if they sound good, I'm going to leave them alone. You know.
1: They look they sure look good. They look like they're in great shape. Well,
2: Gary did that himself. Gary Hobbs reconditioned them himself. You right. know, just. It's hard to do. I mean, you got to know what you're doing with that. So, yeah, yeah I'm excited to play them. So, wow. one of the funny one of the funny things about the those drums is that a lot of drums. My first drum set uh, had a Slingerland drum set in '63, and and it had an L-shaped rod coming out of the bass drum, and I had a 22-inch cymbal that the store Hood Music, in Richmond, Indiana, gave me. This 22-inch cymbal because nobody was playing big cymbals in rock and roll, you know. So she said, "Here, take this. It's got dust on it. Nobody wants it." And it was a twenty-two-inch cymbal was so heavy on that little L rod arm that it kept falling over on my mounted tom in the middle of his tune. You know, it would be pl- playing Misty, and all of a sudden you hear the cymbal fall over on the drum. I <laughs> Well, so, all right, I got to go get some floor stands. So I'm not going to be using that that L arm from the or this the, the the stand that comes out of the bass drum. Well, I got
1: up. it. I mean, it, we got it.
2: Yeah.
1: So, <laughs> I mean, you know you know hopefully it won't be used for anything else you know right (laughs) i think something like that could come in handy a
0: variety of
3: ways (laughs) now now john yeah i was gonna ask
0: about the base i know you did a little bit on a a post up on facebook and stuff about it but yeah tell us a little bit about the base and how you scored that
3: yeah um well the, the way i scored it was i um After Ray passed, then his widow, who's kind of like a second mother to me, said, I've got Pops' bass here. If 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 you're interested in buying it, let me know. So it took a couple of years, but eventually I, uh, because it was just, I was, there was too much emotion attached to the whole thing, but I ended up getting it. But this bass, (coughs) excuse me, is not the bass on the early Poll Winners records, but it is the bass on the. Later poll winners record. I don't know if they made more than one. The one they did in the seventies, um, <clears throat> I forgot the name of it. But anyway,
1: straight ahead. I think it's called.
3: That's right. That's right. And so they've all got their polyester outfits yeah. on. Yeah. Um, so that's this bass, and I—I I mean, I can hear the difference, just like Jeff is talking about hearing the difference between the mahogany drums and whatever else, it's the same thing. The base that, that Ray used in the earlier days, uh, pre-1964, 65, which is when he got this bass, uh, that bass, if you see pictures of it, you'll notice that there are holes in the tuning pegs. Uh, and it's just that that's the kind of the, 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 the design of the tuning pegs. Uh, and he used that bass in the earlier years with Oscar Peterson. I think he might have had that bass even with Dizzy's band. Um, now, but that bass is in an orchestra somewhere in Canada. I think in Toronto. Oh, wow. So, it's basically a classical bass now, or being played used in the classical world right now. Uh, that's the last I heard.
2: John, I know you heard Ray say this about that old bass. He said, "I was never so happy to get rid of something in my life." You know, because <laughs> he said it was like a tank to play, because it was more like a classical bass, and that it, it was just hard to play. Playing all those up tempos with Oscar Peterson. He said I was working way too hard on that oh bass. Man. <laughs>
3: and it's and it's because it's a, it was a beautiful bass, but a bass like that has really big shoulders, so you got to kind of hike your. Arm up over it to play on the, you know, in that register of the bass. And before you even get to the fingerboard, there's so much wood between you and the strings that it's just you, everybody, without exception, that I know that has a big bass, because they always sound great, you know, big, fat, warm sound, everybody eventually gives up the fight. Peter Washington, great example, you know. Just down the list, everybody just says, man, that was too hard to play. Because your body gets beat up so much from those things. And so even now, I I don't recommend to any students, if you're going to spend thousands of dollars on a bass, don't buy a big shouldered bass. You know, the, if the bottom is, is big, that's okay. But if the top is, it kills you. So that's what Ray went through, man. It, it, everybody goes through that. I, I got lucky because the bass that bought, when we were together, Hammer and Dorsey's band, uh, in the Dorsey band, that bass doesn't have really big, fat, wide shoulders. So I got lucky. But too many guys just fall by the wayside.
0: Ray's bass that you have now, how old is that one? Do you know roughly? uh, The
3: maker's name's not inside it, but we've been able to figure out, first of all, it's, it's a German bass. I always thought it was an Italian bass because of the shape. But it really, it comes from Germany. Um, we don't know the exact region. Uh, got an idea. But uh, based on the wood, it's about 200 years old. Wow. Yeah, so,
0: Damn, that's cool. You, you guys have got to be, This I mean, this is pretty cool what's happening here. You guys have got to be pretty excited about this date and getting, to, getting the instruments together. And when was the last time you guys were all together?
2: Wow. Oh, uh, boy. Oh, up at Monterey. uh, We did that camp together about three or four years ago, Bruce. Is that
1: the most recent when you guys came up to, to be at yeah. that camp?
2: Yeah, I think which so. Was,
1: it wasn't like a centrum or something since then?
2: I thought that was before, but around the same time, yeah. 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 A few years. Yeah. yeah. But we didn't really play together at, at, at that place. <laughs> we just hung out. Yeah, yeah, which we're good at, too. Yeah, very good. at
1: yeah, well, we're doing plenty of that.
2: You know. <laughs> well, uh, Troy, I got to say that it's it, it's yeah, it is exciting. It's daunting, also. Uh, you, what what I think we all want to try to avoid is to try to play like those three gentlemen and and make it a copy tribute to these guys. That's that's not it at all. It's kind of what they've handed down to us as individuals and. And, uh, you know, uh, look at what you've done. You know, here's where we are now. And, and with your knowledge and, and everything we've learned from you, because we've all learned from all of these gentlemen. I mean, the, the, it's not just, you know, the drummer from the drummer, the bass player from the bass player. We all knew these masters very well. So, so I think it's, it's fun for us uh, to be able to collectively put our knowledge together with where we are at our age. And and just let things happen as those gentlemen did, to, to create this music, to let the music be created with the knowledge that we have that that was handed down from these these masters to us. And I, I think they would I think they would be okay with it. Uh, it's not like you know I'm I'm not I'm not trying to sound like Shelley because we all realize it's impossible to sound like somebody else. But the influence that these that these gentlemen had on us is certainly going to be apparent. But it's apparent on any gig I play, mm-hmm. you can tell I played with Ray Brown. You can tell that I listened to Shelly Mann, you know, I mean, it's, it's, that, that, it just becomes part of, of who we are and what we play. And I think I'm speaking on behalf of everybody. I see Bruce nodding his head, you know, and, and it's, it, it's just, that's who we become. Thanks to them.
0: Yeah.
3: And that's yeah. a good point too, Hammer. Cause I, you know, hanging around Ray, lo- like I did, I remember, uh, so many times somebody would come up to him and say mr brown would you just play my bass and see what you think and he'd play some stuff on their bass, and that person inevitably would go wow man it's like ray brown's playing my bass and it still sounds like ray brown and he'd roll his eyes like and he'd say yeah the music's not in the bass; it's in you it's in your ear you know and and that's exactly you know what Hammer is, is also alluding to, man. It we're going to be who we are. I'm I'm playing the Ray Brown bass, but it's it's going to be it's going to be my sound influenced by him and all the other people. Uh, if I have to technically get more of a Ray Brown sound, I know how to do it, but that's not my natural go-to. Yeah, you know, so that's it, that's what it's going to be.
1: Yeah, I mean, back when I, I originally had this idea, I was, I was you know, Barney had passed, and I was hanging out with Phyllis, his widow, and whenever I would be there, which, you know, it was fairly often, I guess, because it was San Diego, it wasn't really far from L.A., and I would work there a lot, and um, she'd always bring out the guitar, A, from she wanted to hear me play it, but B, she also wanted me to make sure it wasn't, like, falling apart in the case, because it was extremely valuable and um and she knew it and she knew that at one time she may need to sell it for retirement and whatnot and so um i just was playing it one day i go god i got this idea you know i mean i knew john had ray's bass and i and i at that time i knew gary had shelly's drums and so um and i just said wow wouldn't it be cool if we got these instruments together again. You know, it's like like the kids playing their parents' instruments. That's like what I imagine. Is, you know, like their parents leave the instruments down in the basement and they split and then the kids kind of go in and take over for a while and whatever happens, happens, you know? And and that was the idea. And it just we never really got it together. I know I mentioned it to the guys, but Phyllis was just not comfortable when she realized it meant like, I'd I'd want to live with the guitar for a few weeks, you know, to get comfortable with it, maybe get it worked on, you know, which would take it out of its original place, which could have hurt the value in some ways, you know, Um, she just got real cold feet about it. So I just forgot about it and let it go. And then, you know, she decided to sell it and asked for my help. And I just basically gave her the name of dealers and auctions. I didn't like, like, john said it was really painful for me of course i wanted that instrument and i had great ideas about it but um i just didn't want to be involved in that and the transactional nature of it you know uh it just felt weird to me so um she sold it at auction i I didn't even watch the auction and 10 years later eight years later i just get i'm driving down the road and it's like barney kessel is talking to me He's sitting, I can smell his aftershave. I'm driving to this club in in, in Santa Cruz. I mean, it's really like paranormal. And uh, and I get to the club and I realize, oh, we played a gig here like 40 years ago. That's why I'm thinking about it. But it's like it keeps going, you know. So the guy who got the guitar was friends with Phyllis and she gave me his information. So I, whenever I'd go back to Colorado, I'd let him know I was in town so he could so he'd come to the gig,
3: basically,
1: and he never—I never got to meet him. Anyways, so just to kind of get the whole thing away from me, I—I uh, I, I emailed the guy and said, "Hey, man, I said I'm just sitting here in this club that I played with Barney about 40 years ago, and I'm having the most incredible Barney Kessel flashbacks. I hope you're doing well. Hope the guitar's treating you good. You know, if you ever want to get rid of it, give me first crack at it." And the guy, like, I went up and played a set, came off the bandstand looked at my phone and he'd already emailed me back saying, man, your timing. I don't know. It's weird. He said, like, I just decided I was going to sell my collection. I'm getting older. I don't want my wife and my kids to have to do it. I know it's worth da." And like, uh, and, and I, and I know all these collectors will want Barney's guitar. I said, but I don't want it to go to a collector. I want it to either go to a museum or like someone like you. So if you want it, you can have it for what I paid for it but you got to come get it because I won't ship it and you got to give me a guitar list.
3: <laughs>
1: and so that's how I ended up with this guitar. And that's what revived my idea to do this project. And it just feels like a really good time, both in life at our age and kind of post COVID, you know, we're all coming out of it. And so there's, it's kind of, we have a little bit more time to think about things, you know, cause we're not rushing around through airports as much and, you're know, doing various projects. I mean, I know we're all still doing projects, but so it just felt like the right time to do something like this. And of course, I've had that show called The Red Guitar, which talks about how instruments sort of take over the per- people that play them. Not really the people that take over the instrument, the instrument takes over the person. And like the red shoes or the red violin kind of thing. And so this is just sort of another chapter in my you know, and the, the psychology of all of this and just, you know, of course, any, and any excuse I can get to play with these two guys, I'm going to, I'm going to come up with it, you know?
0: <laughs> I, I can't wait to, I can't wait to hear you guys all get together. I got to ask since you guys are all legends in your own right. um, What's, what's a moment in your careers that was like, you know, that moment where you got the chills and, Oh my God, I can't believe, you know, you were, you were on stage. What's one of those moments that stick out? I'm sure you've had a bunch of them, but what's one that never, you never thought in your wildest dreams would have come true and it did maybe, or can you share some of those?
2: Yeah. July 22nd, 2021.
0: A guitar. (laughs) You can see into the future. (laughs)
1: <laughs> they always,
2: you know, the, the question is, has always been, uh, you know, what's your most memorable gig, you know, and, and the, the common answer for a jazz player is the next one, you know, <laughs> what's your favorite CD, the next one, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's really the way we feel, uh, uh, in, in, in our progression through this journey is that, yeah, there's stuff that we like to listen to and they're memorable things, but I think, Generally speaking for me, growing up playing to the records of the people that I wanted to play with and transcribing them, knowing everything about them, being able to sing everybody's solos on every tune on the records, and then finally getting an opportunity to be on the bandstand with them, uh, had several feelings. Uh, One is, I guess I belong here after all the hard work that you've put in, and we're about to find out. You know, if I can stay here, I know I I got the gig. Now, can I keep it? Right. And so, I think when you realize that you do keep the gig, that that's that whole process is is uh, one of your more uh, satisfactory uh, moments in your life. That that you you made it to the mountaintop. That you maybe thought sometimes might not happen, but there you are. And so, and it it everybody that I wanted to play with that I got to play with that's the way I felt every time I got on the bandstand. So there wasn't really one, one particular time unless John Clayton is going to remind me of something that I haven't uh, thought of. He's known me, he's known me since 1972.
3: So, you know, I'm sure he'd come up with something. Yeah. We, we need a few podcasts for that, <laughs> but I, you know, like Jeff was saying, you know, it's, 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 we just look forward kind of, you know, you, you have incredible memories, but, um, one of the ones, because out of the hundreds of pinch me moments that rises to the surface for me is when I was in the Count Basie's band and we were in Washington, D.C. at the Smithsonian, played a concert there. And at the, at the end of the concert, Count Basie said, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to bring up a young man that used to play with me uh, many years ago. And he's just going to play one number with us. Please welcome Joe Jones. So (laughs) Joe Jones came up from the audience and played "Jumping at the Woodside" with us, and it and I was playing bass, looking at Count Basie, Freddie Green, Joe Jones, and me. Wow, that was major goosebumps, like (laughs) you know, the All American Rhythm Section and me. So yeah, that was. Wow! There are a lot, there, thank God there are a bunch of those kind of stories that we, we all have, but that's one that rises to the surface for me.
2: You know, I do. it does conjure up a Joe Jones story for me that was very moving. When I first met him in 74, we were in the Dorsey band, and he was in the, the professional drum shop in New York City, and he had his feet up on the desk where he hung out in the office and was reading New York Times. And, and um, I said, excuse me, Mr. Jones, uh, is it possible... That I could get a lesson with you. I'm in town with the Tommy Dorsey band for two days. Is it possible I could get a lesson? He took his slowly took his feet off the desk, put his feet on the on the floor, folded the newspaper, turned to me and he said, Young talent, I don't teach. I went, Okay, uh, okay, what else do I ask him? I said, Well, are there anything any information you could impart to a young big band drummer that might help me since I can't get a lesson with you? Slowly took his feet off the desk again. Folded the paper, turned him and He says, "Young talent, always wear white socks when you play because your feet sweat. If you're on the bus, you never know when you're going to get rid of that stuff. So always wear white socks. It's healthier for you. <laughs> and number two, always carry a, ha- carry a ham sandwich in your coat pocket because you never know when the bus is going to stop to eat. So that's my touching story about Joe Jones. That was kind of a that was a pinch me moment too. You know,
0: <laughs> if if you guys." If- just thinking now with what you guys have done, is there a, if you had to choose a player, I know this is probably a tough one, but if you had to choose one player that you could go back and that it wasn't around in your, our time, that you could play with, who would it be? Who would be your guy or girl?
2: Well, I wanted to be on Duke Ellington's band, but he died when I was 20. And so I, I never got a chance to do that. But I think Louis Armstrong, uh we share the same birthday and i always kind of had a thing for you know finding that out even though he said it was july 4th it's august 4th and and i and and ray told ray and oscar both told me that playing with him when they did those records you know the on Verve with with Louis armstrong he said oscar peterson and i thought we had some pretty good stuff together man and then you know Louis armstrong Comes in and he plays four quarter notes. He said the hair stood up on the back of our necks, and Oscar Peterson looked and I looked at each other like schoolboys, going, "Whoa! Did wow. you hear that? You know the sound, the time, everything about it—just four quarter notes." And he said, "He said, we paid attention immediately. It was not that we didn't have respect, but it was we—it caught us off guard how great it was." So I think for me, Louis Armstrong,
3: and you already mentioned mine, which would be Duke Ellington.
0: Duke,
3: yeah, yeah. Same thing. I was at Indiana University when when he died. It was my dream to play with him, but that would have been that would have been the guy. Mm-hmm. Bruce, what about you?
0: Oh,
1: I mean, obviously Charlie Parker would be one. You know, Lester Young, Coleman Hawkins, Fats Waller, Art Tatum, mm. West Montgomery.
0: Yeah.
2: Hey, you got to leave some gigs for the rest of us, man. <laughs> no.
1: Yeah. It's just. But you know in, in in many ways, you know, I mean, live, I haven't played with them live, but I've sure played a lot with them.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, I I sit and play with them every day, you right. know, and they're, they're here when I play every second.
3: Yeah.
0: So All right, I know I know you guys are going to run soon, but um now you guys are in that position to pass on the wisdom. What do you guys say to to the young kids and the young players coming up nowadays? What, what words of wisdom do we pass on besides white socks and a ham sandwich?
2: <laughs> you mean there's more? There's, there... <laughs> uh, well, John and I have talked about this. John, John actually gave me this advice. He's, he's, he only has me by a year, but he was miles ahead of me in wisdom in, in uh, my late teens, early 20s. And that is, you know, uh, who do you want to play with? select the people you want to play with buy all the music that they have learn it inside out like i just said you know transcribing solos of the people you want to play with and know every drummer in the band before you you know before you 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 get the opportunity know where they're from learn everything about them and then you've got more knowledge than anybody else you've done more homework and research than anybody else and if you're talented in, in any way in the first place that's going to help you get to where you want to be. But you can't put a big house in front of that. You can't put money in front of that. It has to be the passion for the music. And Gerald Clayton, John's son, astounded us at that Monterey Clinic that we were talking about before, Bruce, when you know John and I are supposed to be the grand old masters of the, of the clinic circuit, you know. And Gerald came out with the uh, with the beautiful statement, and it just I've been borrowing that from uh, him ever since. Somebody asked him what he thought about when he was improvising. He said, "I think about two things: honesty and clarity." And really, if you start studying the music that way. And you're not jiving yourself thinking, oh, yeah, I can do that Buddy Rich solo, but I'm going to do it with my left hand, you know, then you know that's not being honest with yourself. But if you if you really approach this stuff with honesty and clarity, you're going to get better if you've got any talent. And so that that's what I pass on. And that's essentially coming from John in 1971 to or 72 also, you know.
3: Thanks, Hammer. You summed it up. I. The whole honesty and clarity thing, and and I think, uh, I think young people um, have a tendency. Maybe I did too when I was younger. But you have a, they sometimes have a tendency to look for um, the quick way to get results, you know. And so they they're looking for shortcuts, whether it's apps. Uh, things that'll slow down the the solo instead of, instead of starting with a uh, a simpler solo that will allow you to in real time hear like Charlie Parker did and everybody else did you know it's like let's bring it down to our level mm. you know and and so there's kind of an impatience it feels like so i just remind people man just just do the task i don't even like to call it work do the tasks necessary to get you to the next levels, and if your if your level continues to get higher, then you have more doors of opportunity open for you. But you know, they're, they're, I I find a tendency nowadays to latch on to all the external stuff like networking and um, you know all that other stuff that goes along, man. Uh-uh. You know, going back to Gerald, Gerald said, man, if you if you want a gig, just just play good. Right. <laughs> right. And you know, I'm I've got all these theories and da. da, da you know, he's just like, just play good, man. You'll work. <laughs> and and it, and it's at its core, that's the deal. And if you ask any professional musician about that stuff, they're not into into anything but that man just yeah man just play come on you know so it's kind of like that and that's i'm i'm sick of the fear-based education you know oh man well if you don't do this if you don't, then you're you know you're, you you got to learn this if you plan on working you better do this it's like oh god no just play you know get better work on. be smart about it you know don't be a hermit but yeah just do the tasks
2: yeah, as long as you're playing your butt off, that's going to attract people to you. And that's that's what that's what we've all found with our friends and and cohorts and it's like nobody talks about you if you're not playing too well. Yep. But if they hear you in a club and they go, "Hey man, a, John, you texted me about a musician today and said, "Man, I heard this guy, you know, do you do you know him? It sounds like you might know him." And I said, "Yeah, I do," you know. And it and so we're talking about this guy. Now, if he was, a, if he was a total lizard, then nobody would be talking about him, you know, but, but that's just play your butt off and you're going to attract people to you.
1: Yeah, that's true. Right? Exactly. I mean, you know, I, I, everything they said twice, you know, time to the sec, to the power exponential, you know, I mean, the first thing I always say is like, you want, you know, you want to, you want everything to work out, be a badass. Just be a badass, you know, and you have to define what that means in order to become it, which means now you're creative. But some other things I, I do like to impart is um, it's not about being good. It's about getting better.
3: Mm.
1: You know, you you the people who are really like infatuated with being great or being good seem to be the most unhappy and least fun to play with. <laughs> The people who are on the path of getting better all the time are the people that just like are always inspiring and always fun and always full of life experience that makes your life better. And another thing is, this music is a community thing. This is this is a history. There's a history to this music that goes far beyond the notes and rhythms. There's history to it, and there's love, and there's community. And you need to embrace the whole of it to really get the whole out of it. And, you know, I mean, I just really can't impress that on enough. I mean, it's, life's not necessarily about music, but music is about life.
0: Damn, you guys got deep on me. That was pretty cool. <laughs> I love well, it. I,
2: have, I have one more uh, to tag on to that, Bruce, with the Getting Better. Yeah. It's it's the journey and yeah. and Shelley Mann asked me a year before he passed, he asked me, he said I'd heard I heard you play something with the brushes and I wondered did you make a right over the left hand on that or was it a left over the right yeah. for the sweep and I just laughed at him and I said come on Shelley I, I was 20, 24. I said come on twenty five I said Shelly, come on I I uh, I, uh, I come to you for information you know don't ask me what I do. And I was trying to like brush it off and he said, no, no, I'm serious. Did you, was that, it sounded like it was a right-hand lead. Maybe you crossed over the left-hand sweep. Is that what it was? And I said, Shelly, come on. I I don't know. I don't know. And he took his finger and he poked me in the lapel of my coat and he says, young blood, I ask you a question. This is a journey that we're on. We never reach the end of the journey. You need to keep asking questions along the journey because we'll never reach the end of our journey, but it's the journey that's the best part. Now, what the hell did you play? Was it the right <laughs> hand over the left or the left? I, I, I think it was the left hand
3: over the right. Goes, thank you, and he turned around and walked away. <laughs> and that's almost verbatim the story that I have with, about Ray Brown. <laughs> when Ray said to me, how would uh, you do that thing with the bow? And I'm like, you're Ray Brown, I, I, and 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 uh, I can't, I, I don't know. I he said, no, it didn't show me that. I said, oh, you know. And then then he got pissed off and said, after all the money I spent on your education and getting you gigs and blah blah blah, you won't even show me how to do something with the bow. I went, oh, I'm sorry. Here's how you do it. You know, same thing. So weird. The same thing.
1: I have exactly almost the verbatim story to
0: tell about Barney. <laughs> wow! Wow, that's super cool. That's going to be well. A that's, why,
2: that's why. That's why. those three guys were fresh, yeah. up to the day they passed. They were so fresh musically and vibrant, you know, uh, up to the days that they up to their last playing days, I should say, you know. And uh, there's a lesson to be learned from that too, because this keeps you young that's what i keep telling myself so i'm going to i'm going to start buying into it
0: <laughs> i love it i love it you guys i mean this has been this has been really cool to get you guys together and do this we i think we should do another one after the record date because i would love to hear some stories from the recording and what you guys are thinking about all of it after the fact but bruce tell everyone how they how can they support this amazing project what do what? they do where do they go
1: okay it's on kickstarter it's under my name bruce foreman reunion revisiting the poll winners and there's a whole lot of updates i think i'm up to about 20 on there you know and um, making a lot of interesting material everybody's contributing and so uh there's a lot of really interesting rewards as well for people to get and um and Yeah, just keep up, keep, you know. I mean, I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram, you know, so, and we'll be talking about it here. I mean, I'm hoping these guys will still be talking to me after the record date.
2: Well, that was my concern when Troy brought that up. I said, what makes he think, it makes him think we're going to be talking to each other after record dates are notoriously disastrous, man.
0: Well, I kind of figure you guys would have to get back together to fight over all the royalties and all the money that uh, will be coming in from the, the sales, right?
3: Oh, oh yeah. 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 Dream on, Troy. Dream on.
1: Yeah. We play this music because we hate crowds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also,
0: yeah. if I remember rightly, Bruce, you are offering a guitar wank host position, right? It's
1: right. Yeah. Your position, technically, is available <laughs> for purchase and as a, as a, a token of support to our project. And it, and it's only a week left. I mean, it go, it, it ends Monday.
0: It ends Monday, so we're gonna get this the out. Campaign
1: ends Monday, and we record uh, Thursday and Friday. I think. Wow. For those, yeah.
0: Coming up quick. Well, guys, uh, good luck. I I don't think you need it, but um, I'm I can't wait. This is gonna be amazing and awesome to hang with you guys and meet you guys in kind of person. And oh, thank it you. It was an honor. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Troy, yeah. You really
2: too, awesome. Troy. Nice to meet you. Thank good. you, guys. All yeah. right. Enjoy. So, so- Enjoy.